Hello and welcome to Cardio Care Now, a special podcast series led by our moderator, Dr. Seth Martin. Dr. Martin is a cardiologist and an associate professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions. Thank you. I'd really like to welcome everyone to the Consultant 360 Cardio Care Now podcast. And this is actually really exciting because it's our first in the series of this podcast, which we hope will become a very rich resource for many who are part of the multidisciplinary care team for cardiac patients. And we're planning to have a number of hot topics in cardiovascular medicine. And as we get started here, I wanted to focus in first on health equity. So Dr. Commodore Mensa is a cardiovascular nurse epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins. She's an assistant professor and surely will be getting promoted soon in our School of Nursing. She's a core faculty in our Center for Health Equity, and she's a principal investigator on multiple really cutting-edge clinical trials. And I've had the pleasure of getting to know Dr. Commodore Mensa. We'll go with Yvonne with first names moving forward. So I've had the pleasure of getting to know Yvonne through work of mutual interest in the world of cardiovascular disease prevention and health equity. And through this work, I've learned so much about health equity from Yvonne, and I feel like it's really just changed my perspective, the way that I look at the world of cardiovascular medicine as a whole. And so I thought as we started off this podcast and considering the enormous inequities that have been highlighted during the pandemic, that we really needed to start with equity first because we then look through everything through this equity first lens. So it's my great pleasure to welcome you, Yvonne, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much, Seth. It's my pleasure to be with all of you today. To help frame our conversation, Seth, I think you asked that we talk about what we mean by health equity. So health equity is when every person or every individual has a fair opportunity to attain his or her or their health potential. And no one is disadvantaged from achieving this potential because of the social position or any other socially determined circumstance, whether it's their income, their educational status, they should have an equal opportunity to attain health. However, we know that the reality in the U.S. is very different, right? Health equity is something that we continue to strive for. Unfortunately, when you rank the U.S. and compare the U.S. to other high-income countries, we actually rank last on health equity, on health outcomes, on access to care, on administrative efficiency. So I'm so glad that we're having this conversation today to understand how we might put health equity first in all of the work that we do. Absolutely. Thank you, Yvonne. I mean, this has such important implications for our day-to-day practice on the front lines of clinical and also as we plan for new ways to deliver care. And as you mentioned, there's terms, understanding what health equity is, I think is really important up front for all of us as we continue these conversations, because often there's terms of disparities, equality, social determinants of health, these different terms. And I think understanding what health equity is, is really important. So I appreciate you kind of level setting with us there. And it's about this opportunity to obtain optimal health. And you've also taught me that it's about having solutions that really are tailored to individuals rather than sort of a one size fits all approach. Is that right? 
Exactly, exactly. And, and as you said, so we have the term health disparities. We talk about health equity, social determinants of health. And so we know that health disparities are preventable differences that we see in the burden of disease. They are unfair, unjust, and these differences are avoidable. So health equity is a goal, but as you alluded to, there's a difference between equality and equity. From an equality perspective, we would be focused on giving everyone the same resources. But we have to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, in our society, the playing field is not level, that there are many people who actually start off life at a disadvantage, who don't have that generational wealth and may have very modest socioeconomic circumstances that get in the way. And so there's a difference between, for instance, income and wealth. If you have wealth, you have this buffer. So in the event of a life circumstance or a crisis, you're able to withstand that event. But if you don't have that wealth, and we know that in the U.S., for instance, we have this black-white wealth gap where white adults have 10 times the wealth of Black adults. So when we consider this difference, it helps us to understand how some of our interventions, how some of our clinical strategies may not reach everyone and may not meet people where they are and help to eliminate those disparities in health outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for for enlightening us. And, and it's really striking to hear you say things like that we're in our country last when it comes to health equity. I mean, this should be really motivating for us all to more deeply understand the problem so that we can be, be part of the solution. And I think it'd be great in the conversation to come to maybe talk about some very specific examples of this, like a patient that you and I discussed early in the week. But maybe before we get to that, to still say a little bigger picture. Could you speak to sort of some of the backgrounds that's led to you planning these really cutting edge clinical trials, the linked hearts and linked BP trials, some of the inequities that you've observed very specifically in the cardiovascular space and as it relates to hypertension. And then maybe we can talk some of around those clinical trials, which I believe will inform the future of, of cardiac care. Yes, I would say that we know that in the U.S., Black people have higher mortality from heart disease than Black people. And so heart disease, we know, is the leading cause of of death in the U.S., but unfortunately, Black people have higher mortality compared to other racial and ethnic minority groups. But I have to acknowledge that this disparity is not because of their skin color per se, but because of the social conditions, the economic policies, and physical environments that impede their health. And so I've taken a particular interest in heart disease and specifically hypertension. Why hypertension? We know that the greater disparity that we have in terms of cardiovascular disease is in hypertension-related mortality. So where Black people are more likely to die as a result of their high blood pressure. And so I am really passionate about how we might work with communities 
and meet people where they are to reduce the burden of hypertension, improve blood pressure control by using community-engaged strategies, working with faith-based organizations, collaborating with community health centers that are more likely to provide care to people who are living in poverty, people who are racial and ethnic minorities. So these are the settings and these are the opportunities that we have to make an impact. Hypertension and heart disease are my interests, but I would say that hypertension really is an opportunity for us to eliminate these disparities in cardiovascular disease. Yeah, it's a massive issue. And there's been such tremendous gaps in we have such knowledge about how to treat hypertension, but these really persistent gaps overall, but then inequities that really continue to need really innovative uh, solutions. And I, I would say actually for our audience, just to mention that both you and I had the pleasure of co-authoring the American Heart Association statistical document that was just released on January 26, which covers a lot of the details around the latest outcomes with respect to hypertension and other cardiovascular outcomes and details, these inequities that you're speaking of across different social and economic groups. So I think it's important for us to be aware of this. And this has inspired you to really put together some awesome teams and plan some innovative work with the linked hearts and linked BP trials. So I wonder if you could share a bit more about those trials, what you're going to be testing, what the success will look like in those trials, and then maybe even speak to some of the specific case examples, like the one that you and I discussed that really highlight these realities of trying to manage hypertension with barriers to accessing care. Exactly. We know that hypertension uh, is a major clinical and public health problem. So 47.3% of U.S. adults, over 120 million adults, have hypertension or high blood pressure. But as I alluded to earlier, the prevalence in Black males is about 58.3% and Black females is almost 58% also. So there are disparities in the prevalence of hypertension. With that in mind, our team has designed two trials. One of them is called the Linked BP Program. It stands for Home Blood Pressure Telemonitoring Linked with Community Health Workers to Improve Blood Pressure. And the goal here is to prevent hypertension. We would like to enroll adults who have elevated blood pressure or untreated stage one hypertension. And our goal is to recruit them from community health centers and 20 of community health centers. And we would like to recruit 600 participants and they'll be randomized into two arms. So the intervention arm will be a multi-level intervention that consists of community health workers. We know that community health workers are public health professionals that we can engage in the community to improve self-management, to improve access to care. And so we really think there's an opportunity to leverage this community resource to improve blood pressure control. The intervention also consists of a mobile health telemonitoring app called Sphygmo, which is capable of being integrated with all validated blood pressure monitoring devices. And the third component is home blood pressure telemonitoring. So all participants will be provided with a validated blood pressure device. And so that will allow us to sync the app with the device and allow the community health worker to obtain access to the home blood pressure readings to be able to provide feedback 
And the community health worker intervention also consists of lifestyle counseling. And so the community health worker can have conversations with the participant about what they're doing to help lower their blood pressure. What's their diet looking like? Are they lowering their intake of, of sodium, for instance? And our ultimate goal is to reduce systolic blood pressure. And we are fortunate that uh, this project is funded uh, by the American Heart Association. The second project is the Linked Hearts Program. And so it's a similar program, but this time focused on patients with multiple chronic conditions. So people diagnosed with hypertension, diabetes, or chronic kidney disease. And here the goal again is improving blood pressure control. We are also going to be recruiting um, participants from community health centers. And the intervention also consists of community health workers, the mobile health app, telemonitoring, plus the use of um, engaging a pharmacist. So we know that when it comes to blood pressure control, there are many reasons why we don't achieve blood pressure control. And team-based care is a system-level strategy to improve blood pressure control. So we are hoping that by having a pharmacist on board, they may be able to help support the team in terms of intensifying treatment as needed. And this project is funded by the National Institute on Minority Health and Health Disparities. So these are the two projects that we have ongoing at the moment, and we are in the process of engaging stakeholders, identifying sites for this project. So Seth, you also asked me to share a little bit about the experience we had this week for one of my projects, which is not the linked BP or the linked hearts, but another faith-based project to improve blood pressure control and prevent diabetes. So we had a participant who showed up for the screening who had blood pressure, systolic blood pressure over 150 diastolic, but it was 94 at that time. And it turned out that this person did not have health insurance. And so as a participant in the program, we had access to their home blood pressure readings. And we noticed that his blood pressure was trending upwards. So it was in the 160s, 170s. So we called him and it turned out that he did go to urgent care. And although he requested that his medication be intensified or the dosage be increased, he said that there was a reluctance on the part of the clinicians to make any changes. And he was asked to go to the emergency room. And so he refused and he went home. And because he does not have health insurance, he ran out of his medications and that's why his blood pressure was so high. And so Seth, when I called you, I think one of the things we talked about was how it's often difficult to provide support to communities where we have these disparities in terms of healthcare access. Unfortunately, we know that in the U.S. there are over 30 million people who don't have health insurance and that's one of the determinants of disparities in hypertension and other cardiovascular outcomes. And so fortunately, I was able to call a community health center that was close to him. And they said they'll be willing to take him without having health insurance. And they would be able to offer a sliding scale so that he would be able to get primary care. Yeah. He's really lucky to have you and to have been uh, monitored in this, this study. And clearly the the consequences of this sustained severe hypertension are that there could be severe consequences from a cardiovascular standpoint in terms of risk of stroke and heart attack. And so he's, he's lucky to have that, but it highlights kind of the, the challenges that our 
that he's just one of many patients that are struggling to get the tools that they need to be successful. And the way that our systems are designed, it's often not really meeting people where they are. So, you know, I think that you mentioned a number of, just to reflect on some of the pieces that you shared here in describing the, the studies, I think there's a number of pieces that are very important to those clinicians currently on the front lines, including you mentioned the importance of using a validated blood pressure monitor. And I would point the audience, if you're not already familiar, to validatebp.org is a nice website that covers the different blood pressure monitors that are approved for their accuracy. But then it is also important to provide some counseling on accurately measuring the blood pressure. That gets built into your trial protocols, but often in clinical practice is harder to do well. But there are nice resources, infographics from the American Heart Association and other organizations that could help provide education of patients on measuring their blood pressure well. And, and then when it comes to managing the blood pressure, you mentioned community health workers, pharmacists, and this team-based cardiovascular care model, I think is really important because it's going to take, I think it really does take a village to help patients manage their blood pressure. And what's been really interesting is some of these models that are community-based, one of the most famous examples being the barbershop example, where pharmacists were involved in barbershops to help reach those in, you know, really meet people where they are rather than them having to come to a hospital or clinic to get their blood pressure monitored and treated. And I think I would encourage everyone to, to really get to know your local American Heart Association. Avon, you and I have both become members of our local American Heart Association board. We have research with the American Heart Association, and there's just all sorts of opportunities to advocate in your community for better access. Right now, for example, we're working on getting better access through legislation related to blood pressure monitors, just so people can have them covered through Medicaid. So there was a number of, I think, important points you, you had there. But the one thread that I want to start following up on in more detail is the technology thread. You mentioned the Sphygmo app is being used for blood pressure monitoring. And in general, health technologies are leading to the ability to manage things more at home and really empowering patients there at home and in the, in the community. So I wonder if you could speak, you obviously have so much expertise here and it'd be great to get your latest thoughts on the emerging role of technologies, such as smartphone apps as a as a tool to level the playing field and to deliver those tailored solutions that we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation and, you know, understand where you think the greatest potential is here, but also some of the challenges, the digital divide and, and how we can address that. Right. And as you said, Seth, we know that technology can be a tool that can be deployed to enable access to care. And unfortunately, we know that in the United States, there's what we call a digital divide, where there are differences in terms of those who have computers and online access and those who don't. And this is a persistent threat to achieving equity to healthcare access in the U.S. And we also know that the disparities that we see in broadband access, they actually mirror health disparities in the U.S. where racial and ethnic minority groups have less access to broadband. And 
a couple of shocking statistics. So we know that although about 30% of households in the U.S. lacked broadband access in low-income populations, that percentage is much higher. So about 59% of homes with a household income of less than 20 thousand or 46% of African-American households lack broadband access. So in the context of the recent expansion in telehealth, many of us have expressed concerns about how this expansion may further contribute to disparities where there are people who will not have the same opportunity to have a video visit or to have a visit at all if telehealth is the only option. And so it's something we can't take for granted that telehealth, for instance, may reduce or exacerbate disparities in access to quality of care. But if we do this right, it has the potential to enhance access. So Patients can access clinicians wherever they are and not have to worry about having transportation, finding childcare, taking time off. So we know that people who have lower income are less likely to have jobs that allow them to take um, sick leave, right? So telehealth has that opportunity to expand access, but it's not a given. It's something that we have to ensure that we are all providing equal access to technology. So telehealth is one of them, but you alluded to this point on Seth earlier of mobile health technology. So we know that mobile phones are ubiquitous and racial and ethnic minorities are more likely to rely on their mobile phones for health information. So that's an opportunity. However, people also do ran out of data, right? So it's one thing to have a smartphone and it's another thing to have sufficient data to allow you to participate in a telehealth visit or to be able to use your smartphone. And so I think all of this points to the fact that technology, but we also have to assess where disparities may exist and actually provide or implement strategies to close gaps right? To enhance digital literacy. So it's one thing to be given a smartphone or a tablet, but it's another thing to actually know how to use the technology well. And so we have to make sure that we provide the resources, whether it's training, engaging community health workers, provide support in terms of connecting for telehealth visits and being able to to receive care in a timely manner. These are really critical points. And I, I think for, you know, cardiac care clinicians on the front lines of care for those that understanding technology, the, those that are out there and, and how we can best support our patients is now clearly very much a, a part of, of routine clinical care. As we kind of draw to a close here, I, I wanted to get your, and first of all, thank you for being our guest, being our, our first guest on this Cardio Care Now podcast to really shine a light on health equity and help us think through hot topics in cardiovascular medicine with an equity first lens. As we all try to understand better and, and really take a part in advancing the mission of equity in cardiovascular health, what would be a resource that you'd suggest that we, that we turn to? 
Well, if there are a number of resources uh, available to help us understand how we might advance health equity, but one that I would like to highlight is the City Health Dashboard. So this is a resource that was launched in 2018 with funding from the Robert Wood Johnson uh, Foundation. This dashboard or website has over 35 measures of health and drivers of health. So these social determinants for over 750 cities across the U.S. If you visit this dashboard, it gives you data on health outcomes, social and economic factors. So for instance, for social and economic factors, it gives you data on broadband access, the proportion of of children living in poverty, high school completion rates. If you want to understand health behaviors, for instance, physical inactivity, smoking, if you enter a city that you're interested in, it will give you all of this data. And I also like that this resource goes beyond providing data, but it also includes tools for driving change in communities. So they also have information of on what you can do, for instance, finding policies and programs to advance health equity, finding partners. So there are a lot of people in communities doing this work, but this resource also provides an an opportunity to connect with like-minded people who are doing this equity work. Also finding funding opportunities. So a lot of communities would benefit from funding opportunities and obtaining resources to provide more enabling services to the people who need them the most. And the last is measuring impact. This resource also talks about how we might track our impact and measure impact in order to advance health equity. So I'd encourage all of you to check this out, cityhealthdashboard.com, and it will really give you a glimpse into your unique context to understand what the drivers of health outcomes are for your population. Thank you so much, Yvonne. I've really enjoyed the conversation and really am grateful to have you as a colleague, a resource, as to really be able to benefit from your unique insights. I am looking forward to building on this conversation that we've had as this series tears goes on. And I think this has laid the, the perfect foundation for us to continue conversations in, in hot topics around cardiovascular medicine. Thank you so much, Yvonne. Thank you so much for having me. For more cardiology content, visit our website, consultant360.com.